This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hello, everyone. My name is Erin Trelor, and I am the host of Raw Beauty Talks. We're taking you behind the highlight reel of the world's biggest influencers and wellness gurus to get a raw glimpse of what beauty, health, and wellness look like in today's world so that you can feel your absolute best in your body and in your life. I do not normally start these interviews off this way, but I had to I had to do this one differently because it was a bit of a rocky start when Noor Tagori and I began our conversation. And I wanted to use this as a little bit of a learning point for everyone involved, including myself. When I found out I was interviewing Noor, I was so excited. She is somebody that I've admired for a long time. She has done so much incredible work. So I dove into learning even more about her. I'd already listened to her podcast and I listened to to her second one from start to beginning. I listened to as many interviews of her that I could find. I read as many articles as I could find. And I really wanted to know as much as I could about her, but also about her background. I sat down with Noor after doing hours of preparation for her interview, and it still started out super rocky. Here's how it went. So, Noor, I'm going to give you a bit of an intro, and then I'll ask the first question, and we'll go from there. Okay. Hello, everybody. I am sitting here in a recording studio in New York for our very first in-person interview, and I am... So, so excited to introduce this guest today. Her name is Noor Tagori, and she is making big waves in the field of journalism. She is a Libyan-American journalist and the host of three incredible podcasts, one being Sold in America, which takes us on a journey through the very, very complicated U.S. sex trade. She is also the host of a beautiful podcast produced by Girlboss called In Progress that provides a crash course in living a purposeful life. So listen to this podcast and then head on over there to listen to that because I know every one of our listeners will absolutely love that one. And another called A Woman's Job, which highlights women. A yes. Woman's Job is actually a documentary series. Oh, I was it's like, not a podcast. Yeah, I was like, I don't want to cut you off, but I haven't done three podcasts. I've done, maybe if it was like the two series plus like every interview That's I've ever so done. funny. Yeah. But I mean, it would really make for a great podcast. A Woman's Job is actually a short <laughs> docu-series on women who are Camille Dunn Okay, I thought you had two, and then a friend was like, you know she has three, and I was like, oh my God, no, I missed the third one. That and so is I was, hilarious. I was looking it up. Okay, can, so can we start? Can we not start? just keep that. Okay, we might keep that. I'm just going to go back a tiny, tiny bit. And then just be like, two podcasts. <laughs> it would be great. Okay. Noor Tagori is a Libyan-American journalist and the host of two incredible podcasts, one being Sold in America, which dives into the very, very complicated U.S. sex trade. And she's also the host of a beautiful podcast called Girl, or produced by Girl Boss, I should say, called In Progress. Make sure you continue to listen to the rest of this episode, but then definitely pop over and download that one because I know it will be a huge, huge favorite for everyone listening today. Noor was the first woman to be featured in Playboy magazine in her hijab, fully clothed. 
I may add. And uh, she has walked the runway of many of the top designers. Nor is an activist who uses storytelling to deconstruct many of the stereotypes surrounding women. And she is rewriting what it means not only to be Muslim, but what it means to be a woman in today's world. So thank you so much for being here today, Noor. Thank you so much for having me. Going to throw in one more edit. I've only walked one runway, unless you count the one that I walked when I was three, and it was just for Rebecca Minkoff. That counts. And Rebecca Minkoff's is so big that I'm going to just say, yeah, say all like, of the runway. I was like, all <laughs> of the runways. This is what media That's... does. This is really interesting because I I read in a couple yeah, of no, places. Yeah, no, no, no. That okay, like... I, I'll tell you. This is it's it's so that's why I'm like it's not your fault at all. Almost every single article that's ever been written about me has flaws in it because nobody fact checks anymore. Nobody asks me. It's so ridiculous. And it's like I'll like, get Google alerts for like the most incredibly thoughtful, kind pieces. And I'm like, you easily could have just shot me an email to fact check this because there are like six errors in right, it. Right. But yeah. And this so, is a problem. This is actually a big problem in media. Not it's not a huge problem that they're saying that you've walked in yeah, no. <laughs> all the, the runway shows, but this type of misinformation it's oh, yeah, common. Yeah. It's not media. even just common. It's just like kind of balances with the fact that they're like money in newsrooms and in, in media is depleting, but also people are just pumping out so many pieces and people don't fact check and all of the things in between. But it, walking a bunch of runways isn't harmful to anybody. It's just not right. But I mean, there have been so many situations that I've had personally where like the misinformation has actually put me in danger. So it's yes. like a very interesting way of understanding what it means to like have fact checking be a principle in journalism that like once was the holy grail and today people eliminate their fact checking teams when they're laying off people so it's like very complicated okay so not exactly as smooth as i was hoping that it would however i learned something super valuable (laughs) i learned that we can't always trust the information that we're reading in media and that it is so important to fact check and to ensure that with every individual we have on here i am sending them their bio beforehand to make sure that i have accurate information It also got me thinking about all of the information that we share on Raw Beauty Talks because quite often we are sharing information that we've heard about or read about through other resources that I trust. However, moving forward, I'm also going to be a lot more diligent about checking in on the information that I'm receiving before I share it out with you. So some of the stuff might not necessarily be completely research-based or scientifically backed, but I will make sure that I've done my best to get varying opinions and that it is something that we know works or that it's something that I've had a good experience with personally. So lesson learned. Also, remember, it's okay to make mistakes as you're doing things and as you go along. It's part of the process. And it's often in those mistakes that we learn the most. Okay, let's get back to our conversation with Noor. It's funny because representation and truly equipping people with the right knowledge and information is something that I personally like am so passionate about because I know what it's like to be misrepresented and then I know what harms it does to misrepresent minority or marginalized communities. And so on the bigger scale of things, it's something that we always have to fight against anyway because we see the fact that like, I mean, in the most simple example, I mean, I wear a hijab and if you were to Google like Muslim woman in a hijab, 
most of the images that you would see are not actually representative of Muslim women in America wearing the hijab because it's like highly curated to make sure that it's perpetuating a notion of oppression and mm. fit, filling in this like the stereotype that has always been pushed on us. And and that's just a very personal example, but it happens to every community. I have so many questions based on everything that you just said. <laughs> I want to go back. I want to talk about the misrepresentation that you personally faced in January. Oh, I also yeah. want to talk about what the hijab means to you. But before that, I kind of want to go back in time to talk about how you got to this place that you are today. What brought you into journalism and into this incredible purpose that you have of storytelling? Oh, man. I've always, 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 always loved telling stories. I would never leave the house without a book in my hand. I always asked questions. I was always telling stories. And just recently, I also found home videos that my parents would take of me telling me to report the news because they knew it was something that I was so passionate about. And so it was like something that I just knew before I knew what the term journalism even meant. When I was first very curious about it, it was something that I knew I would have to do, but also while trying to look like the people that were already represented in media. This is me, eight years old. You'll be able to hear it because I'm going to put it into the mic. <laughs> Today is the news right now, and we are at Disney's. No, no, we're not in. This is Fredo's house. This is the weird name. Um, this is um, all the fireworks yeah. back, back, back down there. Um, it's shining too bright on me. And that's all. Oh, and today was a warm day. And we got our hotel where Abdul's going to be a wedding. And that's the end of our news today. Because I've been doing lots of shows of news. Do your nose news. I'm asking my little sister to do the news. So that I would hold my incredible. fist and a little microphone. And then I would sit and I would just, my parents would be like, do your news, Noor. I always knew that they pushed me into this because they saw something in me, like this curiosity in me. But I never like actually as an adult saw how exactly they did it as a kid. And then as soon as I watched these videos, I was like, oh, wait, that was a thing. And so I found all these videos where they were like, do your news, do your news. It was something I I always knew I wanted to do. And now I have proof. <laughs> you totally have to proof. Do. We yeah. talk a lot on this podcast about finding your purpose. And I always encourage people to kind of go back to what they enjoyed as a as kid. As a kid. That's 100%. I said that. I actually said this in my TED Talk, that I believe that we've all been familiar with our personal legends for quite some time now. But, I mean, we grow up in societies that have such strict standards and expectations, and then you're afraid of how much money you're going to make, what you're going to look like, how, what, what happens when you're too vulnerable, what happens when you want to look different than the people around you, or whatever it is, and then you stifle yourself in your own productivity and your creativity and your imagination, and then you fit yourself into a mold that essentially keeps you down, and then you end up feeling confused about what it is that you're doing. Purpose is such a strong word, and I have my own formula of how I define purpose. I believe it's combining the things that pain you the most with your skill sets and your talents. So for me, storytelling was something that I always knew I was really good at. But to truly feel in purpose, I had to realize what it was that would pain me. And so whether that was violence against women or misrepresentation of marginalized communities, I had to like experience those things for myself and then be like, wait, I can use my skill sets and talents to fight these things that are causing me pain and causing my community pain and and then feel like I have a mission or feel like I have purpose in what it is that I'm doing. I always use that mindset to reframe what it is that I'm doing. And if I'm taking on something that might not really fit into that, then I'm like, okay, let me reassess why I'm doing this or if this is really what I want to do. But 
the things that gave you joy as a kid and the things that you felt made you happy are still the things that can make you happy today. It's just being able to tap back into that. And that's why I think like even when you spend time with kids, I have younger siblings and I'm like just watching them exist is so brilliant because you can learn so much from them and you can see like the most raw form of passion essentially. Like my baby brother who's eight loves 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 legos and he'll sit in his room and build by himself and he'll come talk to you and stuff and my mom told me today she was like yeah i like actually have the text message because this is like proof that my mom always this is what she would always do but she was like he's smart and inquisitive and his mind is just so mature so i want to nurture that that was literally like what she did for me and i feel like when you are around kids if you have the ability to pay attention to them and figure out what it is that you want to nurture it's just profound. You learn so much from them and you see them blossom. So you had amazing parents who saw this in you at a young age. It was obviously something that came really naturally to you. I mean, you're very, very good at what you do. <laughs> Thank you. Tell us about that process of becoming a journalist because there are a lot of journalists out there. There yeah. are a lot of people who are doing this, a lot of men and a lot of women. More How men than you, women. Definitely more men than women. Probably not a ton of women who are in minority group. No, no. definitely not. <laughs> So no, how at least did not in like of, the newsrooms that they deserve to be in. How did you kind of break through and find your strong footing in this area? I kind of always had this mission of just wanting to find ways to put myself in places where I could either shadow or learn from other journalists. But when I was 15 years old, I decided to put on the hijab after like spending my entire life saying I would never, ever do it. And my parents never mentioned it to me because it has to be something you choose to do. But they never thought I would do it anyway because – I think they also realized, I mean, she wants to be on TV and no one in America has ever been on television with a hijab on. So, you know, like this is what I wanted to do and it just had to happen. And so when I decided to put it on when I was 15, I was trying to kind of figure out who I was and and like what my purpose essentially was. And shortly after that, actually, I think it was like a couple weeks later, I got offered an internship at a local newspaper. And I remember thinking, wait, maybe this is actually possible. Like, maybe I have a chance in this. And I remember what the first week that I had put it on, I kept thinking to myself, well, Oprah was the first of many, Lisa Ling, Soledad O'Brien, Christiana Mampour. These are all people that I look up to and some who are my mentors now. Maybe I can be a first, too. And it was never my intention to do it to be the first. It was my intention to do it, period, and knowing that a first had to come. So I took on the internship, and then my mom told me, like, if you already know what it is that you want to do, why don't you just homeschool the rest of your high school and start college early because it's going to be harder for you? And I was like, yeah, I, I mean, I hated high school. So I wanted to, I was like, <laughs> perfect, <too. laughs> wonderful. I will get out. So I started college when I was 16 years old, really with the intention to pursue this and giving myself a two-year head start because I knew I would get rejected from jobs. And then I made a promise to myself the day that I started college that I would pursue anything and everything that sparked an interest in me or like sparked some type of passion because I had spent so much of my life up until that point, all of my life doing things and pursuing things or being things that weren't authentic to me because I felt like I had to because that was who was represented or that was what I saw around me or that's what my friends were into. So I was like, no, 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 none of that. I'm starting fresh and I wanted to pursue everything that was true to me. So one of the things that I pursued was performing poetry, which I didn't know you could do. I had always loved poetry, but I was always embarrassed of loving poetry because it, it just wasn't cool at school at the time. And so the first day of college, I met a poet 
who was really incredible, and he introduced me to everybody on campus, including another poet who became a close friend of mine. And they introduced me to this world of spoken word, and I ended up being able to use it as an outlet to express myself and kind of grow in this whole process of finding myself. And when I turned 18, I decided I needed to get an internship, just a next step internship, a bigger internship or a job. At the time, I was working for like the local newspaper, the college paper, and I was doing these things to keep my name, keep getting bylines. So one night, it was three nights after I turned 18 years old, I prayed what we call in Islam istikhara, which means the guidance prayer. And I just basically asked God if I could get an internship. I was like, can I get an internship, please? Okay, thanks. Love you. Bye. Um, (laughs) I'd gotten a full ride scholarship to journalism school in the fall, so I had spring semester off. So I wanted to do something that I loved. And that spring semester... I started applying for like radio internships, newspapers, TV. I applied for like part-time flight attendant jobs because I love traveling. And and I made that prayer. And then the next day, I had a performance for World AIDS Day. I was performing a poem with the guy who introduced me to everybody the first day of school. And I introduced myself as a broadcast journalism major, even though I wasn't yet, because I would always tell people that I was. I thought I had been reading Jack Canfield's book, The Success Principles, and he always talked about the power of visualization. So I would tell people that I was, even though I wasn't. And I would wait for people to like say, oh, so you want to write for a newspaper? And I was like, no, I want to be on TV. And they'd be like, yeah, but – and I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so I confidently would introduce myself as that. And after the poetry performance, a woman came up on stage and took the mic out of my hand. And in front of 300 people, she said, Nor, you're a broadcast journalism major. And I was like, oh, shit, like I'm lying. Oh, my gosh, is she going to find out what's going on? And I was like, yeah. And she said, my name is Justine Love, and I'm the director of community and public affairs at CBS Radio, and I want you to intern for us. Wow. Yeah. Chills. Just like just like that. <laughs> the next day. Literally the next day. Wow. And I remember, like, getting off stage and just crying. I always knew this is what I was going to do, but it was like God just being like, no, this is what you have to do. This is your purpose. You need to do this. And I remember asking Justine, and I was like, why did you do that? Why did you give it to me? And she has, like, very strong Oprah vibes. I always call her my Oprah because, like, <laughs> the way she speaks, the way she carries herself, the everything. That's literally how she was. And she said, it was your synergy, which I didn't know what the word meant at the time, so I had to look it up. And then she was like, and I really loved your outfit. <laughs> because yeah. I would always go to school. I, I, like, always believed in dressing for the job that you wanted. And on that note, we will be right back after a word from this episode's sponsor. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country, 
country anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash raw beauty talks. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friend. Friends. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code RAWBEAUTYTALKS at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code RAWBEAUTYTALKS. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you a over. As you may or may not know, I've been off coffee for the last year as it really wasn't helping my anxiety, but I still wanted something delicious to sip on while I worked. So I was super excited when I discovered Four Sigmatic and their insanely delicious superfood drink mixes, which combine the power of mushrooms with yummy things like cacao and turmeric. My favorite blend is the mushroom cacao mix, which is my go-to for that mid-afternoon moment when I'm craving something chocolatey, or I also love it as a treat before bed. Made with reishi mushrooms, which help boost the immune system and are also shown to have a calming effect, it is perfect for anybody who's looking for a little more zen in their life. Organic, paleo, and vegan, each mix comes perfectly prepped in its own package, so you just have to add water or your favorite nut milk. I should also mention that they do not taste like mushrooms at all. You just get all the benefits of the mushrooms that are in it. For the coffee lovers out there, they've also got you covered with blends made from organic Arabica beans so that as you sip that daily java, you are getting a boost of the good stuff. Head to www.foursigmatic.com slash rawbeauty15 to get 15% off your online order. That's foursigmatic.com slash rawbeauty15. And now let's get back to Noor. Which was your very first documentary that you filmed? So the first documentary I ever filmed was Forest Haven, The Trouble They've Seen, and I filmed it on a broken camera that Shaquille O'Neal replaced. No after way. After the documentary came out. Yeah, yes. he's like, he was so kind. He emailed me and he was like, I hope I'm not bothering you. And I was like, is this real? But I saw <laughs> that he had followed me on Twitter. <laughs> he was so kind and so generous and he had his assistant buy me all new equipment. It was wild. Wow. Yeah. So I released this documentary and I spent four months investigating, not for pay, not for anything. I just wanted to put out something I was passionate about. And so Forest Haven was an institution that housed people with intellectual disabilities. It was one of the top 10 worst cases of medical abuse in the United States' history. And the case that shut it down 
had been open for 40 years. It just closed last year. And I wanted to do the documentary as a form of justice for the people. So I found people who were still alive, who had stayed there. I found one mother of a son who was there for 30 years, interviewed both of them, doctors, lawyers, everybody. And I produced this like 20-minute documentary, uploaded it to my socials. And there were news stations that were asking for it. And I just was like, no, this is just mine. I just wanted to do it. Mm. And I put it out and I didn't know what was going to happen. And then after that, a director over at a digital video company reached out to me and asked to give me a job. The position that was open was for a political correspondent. I was like, that's not really my vibe. And he was like, no, I don't care. I just want you to come in, dress the way that you're dressed in your own voice and tell the stories that you want to tell. Yes. So I was like, oh. yes, yes, I will. Yeah, Amazing. Totally. I love listening to that story. So many different pieces. I feel like often when we look at somebody as successful as you, it seems like it was probably just the straight line trajectory. I mean, you seem to have so much confidence as yeah. you should have, but that's never the case. That's oh my God, never it's the case. Never. It's not even a straight line trajectory right now. Like it's never the case, but it's just a matter of are you doing the work no matter what are you doing the work even when you're not getting paid are you doing the work because you really care about it I mean I always say with the journalism don't go into it if you're going into it for the money because you're not going to make money but go into it because the only thing you know that you can do is tell stories I feel like with social media today there's almost this constant flow of images that are giving us this external motivation whether that's for money or fame or beauty and that makes it very easy to disconnect from our why or the real purpose behind what it is that we're doing because we see these people and they're posting these kinds of photos and they have lots of followers and X, Y, and Z. Talk to me a little bit about your relationship with social media (laughs) in regards to your success and what that looks like. Do you like social media? Is it a necessary tool for you? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a necessary tool because you have to connect to the people in the communities whose stories you're telling. So I have love-hate relationship. I feel like especially recently, like I haven't been as engaged as I usually was with social media. And it's funny because the busier you get and the more that you're doing behind the scenes, the less you end up actually being on social media. So I realize now like a lot of people that I look up to or take on as mentors, like you never see them like consistently posting or at least posting about their work until everything is done. So it's really tough. But I think the reason I have like a love-hate relationship is because I strongly detest when people are just not authentic, when things are just fake. I see so much of that on social media. And I cho- I'm very like picky about who I choose to follow and what content I choose to consume. I mean, like even with the people that I follow, most of them are on mute because I'm just like, I don't need to be consuming this much right now. Mm-hmm. And so I see myself more creating content than consuming it because it's just endless. You know, you find yourself in a spiral and like unless it's making you feel good or teaching you or making you feel happy for someone, then it's really hard to kind of wrap your mind around it. But the reason that social media to me, like I feel confident in the way that I use it is because I know that everything that I put out is 110% true to who I am and authentic. It's authentic to my voice. It's unedited. It's things that are related to my work or my travels or whatever it is. But like I put things out for people so that they feel like they can either relate to me or see kind of the work that you're doing. I think my personal struggle with it, though, is I definitely go through even especially right now, hardship in work and like figuring out how to truly do the work that you want to do. You don't run to social media to post about that. 
but I definitely try to talk very truthfully when I get the chance to. But you, it's a game of patience, and I have more patience now than I ever have before, and I still don't think I'm a very patient person. <laughs> but, yeah, so I think to me the biggest thing is I just want to shake everybody and just be like, just be honest. Just be honest. I really hate when people lie, and I really hate when people are inauthentic because I know and I see what it's done to – especially young girls and everybody, but just like young girls, especially the fact that suicide rates among 14-year-old girls has gone up 800%. And the number one reason being Instagram is bananas. Because I wish I could go to all of those girls and just tell them that like everything that you're seeing isn't true. Like 90% of what you consume on Instagram has been altered, is fake. The people behind it aren't really happy. And my frustration is like when I meet people in person who's like social media presence is so like chippery and happy and whatever and this and that and they're like the complete opposite in person (laughs) i always say like for me personally i feel like i'm way cooler in person than i am on social media i'm way funnier i'm like way yeah i'm i don't even think that i'm very cool in social media i think it's just like finding that balance and authenticity there are people who do it really well and we were just talking about ashley graham and she's one of my very close friends and i think she's one of the people who is so authentic on social media she's brilliantly authentic on social media and is so powerful with her truth. And like, I see the way that people are impacted by her presence and her message in the way that, and to her, it's effortless because it's just her truth. It's just like you. So I always say, and I've said this several times on social media, like if you ever feel exhausted and you can't really pin your, I mean, there's so many reasons why you feel exhausted, but one tip in not feeling as exhausted is going out into the world and just truly being your most authentic self because it takes so much effort to put on, another persona or to put on some type of like image or to to be constantly quote on but that not being truly authentic to yourself. How do you find that authenticity though because there's a lot of people out there and I think especially the people who are putting those images out that are so perfect that that have lost touch with I their feel own like you can feel it though. Like I think part of why it's so frustrating to me is because I know when I was younger I would be not even like that much younger when people started posting on Instagram and the first wave of quote influencers kind of started happening. I believed everything I saw. I always had this question of like, but where are they getting the money? Because they don't work. <laughs> like, but where is this where happening? Where are these clothes coming like, from? Where are they? How are they on these yachts? And now I know how all this stuff works. And I know that a lot of those people were doing really crazy things. I found out about some extreme cases. The first thing that I would do is just tell all my siblings and be like, I know some of you guys are on Instagram. My 13-year-old sister is not, and like I won't let her be on Instagram. And I let them know how these things actually happen. And there are places where it's authentic, but trust your gut and like trust what you know about people and what you know about yourself and follow the people who make you feel good. If you're following somebody that doesn't make you feel good or makes you feel worse about yourself or insecure or whatever it is, then unfollow. Like, there's no reason you should be consuming their content. Unless you feel like you're gaining something, you're getting inspired, you're benefiting from their content, there's no reason for you to be following it. They don't need, they're not going to miss that, like, one follower and you are not going to miss seeing them. I completely agree. We always talk about doing a social media detox. And you can also, as Nor said, mute people now on Instagram. You so can if mute you're worried about so, yeah. hurting someone's feelings and unfollowing them, mute them and get them off your screen. Yeah. You determine but the But even content. with the social media detox, I always think that that's interesting because, yeah, like there are times where I'll not be on social media, period, at all. But even just thinking about a detox per se – 
or quitting social media isn't feasible because we know that it exists and it's so powerful and it has so many positive aspects, but we've never been taught because this is the first wave of like people on it the way that we are. We don't even know what the effects are going to be, but we're never taught like how to actually use it properly and how to like make sure that we are doing right by ourselves and we're using it in a healthy manner because social media is incredible it's powerful it connects us gives us access to all the stories i would not be where i am today without social media because unfortunately people who look like me cannot easily walk into boardrooms or corporate offices and pitch show ideas or try to get a job in television or in media and stuff but if i have a backing of hundreds of thousands of people who want to see my content and i can prove to them hey by the way there are people who want this but there are people who genuinely want this kind of content and want to hear these stories and want to hear themselves and see themselves represented then they're like, oh, there are numbers behind this. And it's really unfortunate, but it takes that to get to where we need to be with true inclusion. And so we just have to figure out a way to balance it. I do agree. I think where the detox has helped me in the past is that I feel like we almost get addicted to the little beeps and the notifications. And so for me, pulling myself out of that gives me a much bigger, better perspective of what this all is and like getting back into real life and making choices not based on what's happening on social media. Yeah. So speaking of media, <laughs> there was a little media glitch earlier this year oh, there in January. Oh, many earlier. <laughs> there's one really well-known one, but I can list you like 30 others this year that happened. Oh, honestly, it's so disheartening. But can you tell everyone what happened with Vogue? Vogue specifically? I mean, so I was featured in Vogue for their February issue in a spread, and the piece covered me as a retired Pakistani actress by a completely different name. So they completely misidentified me in the print issue after we had followed up with them multiple times asking to fact check the copy because I knew that Stuff like this happens all the time. It happened with Brides Magazine less than a month before. It happened the year before multiple times where people were using my photo as the face of the Pulse nightclub shooter's wife, Noor Salman. Same first name as me, but she does not wear a headscarf. So when people who are lazy look up, I mean, the there's name a lot whatever. of yeah, there's a lot of people named Jane in the world. Too, yeah, but Nora's often... like the most common. <laughs> yeah, so it was really fresh. But anyway, so that was one of the examples of putting my life in actual danger. Like it was media outlets who were using that photo. It was funny because after Vogue happened, every media outlet was covering it, and I couldn't tell you a single. Me- there was, I think, Fashionista was the only one that like 100 percent had everything accurate in their article every single other every outlet like major outlets all messed up a fact about me one way or another and it's so crazy because i'm like you could reach out to me my contact is everywhere you could have reached out to me you could have fact checked and stuff but people don't take the time to do that anymore sometimes i feel completely overwhelmed in regards to how to even find information these days that is accurate. And also, it's like the written copy that we're looking at isn't necessarily accurate. It all seems to have a bias. And then in addition to that, the images that we're looking at are so highly curated and often photoshopped. And so I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on that and how you kind of navigate that world. Yeah, I think for me, and this is something I think about a lot, especially right now, but I think people are starting to trust individuals more than media outlets as a whole. There are media outlets that you can go to and you can expect to get great information, but most of these outlets have a different a bunch of different contributors and 
fact-checking just gets overlooked so much. So for me personally, I always say find journalists that tell you about their process that are very honest in like how they approach stories and then just be as aware as as you can about the stories that you're consuming, where you're getting them from. If you can cross-reference, like don't get all of your news from one source. Try to variate that. For me personally, like I really love using podcasts as an example or following individual journalists. I listen to The Daily by The New York Times every morning and I think that their reporting for The Daily specifically is incredible. They definitely talk about the process. Or if you're following individuals, people like Katie Kirk, who uses social media to tell the news as well, and she's brilliant. She's also a great mentor of mine. Lisa Ling, who does more long-form work that, like, consists of a lot of research and, and reporting. Soledad O'Brien, um, a close friend of mine who I think is an, a brilliant investigative reporter, Zarin Burnett. So all these people, if you can, like, go out and find pieces that connect with you and try to get, like, your news from either those individuals or people those individuals follow or whatever it is. Like, but just... Find a way that works for you, but also always be skeptical. If you have social media now and you're really engaged in a certain topic, it's so easy to have access to journalists. So challenge them, question them. Like I think journalists are public servants and they are supposed to be telling the truth. So engage with them. And I think that oftentimes journalists are very willing to engage, especially when it comes to their own work. Thank you for sharing that. We'll make sure that we link to all of those resources that she just shared with us. The Daily is incredible. Add that to your list for sure, for sure. On that note, I have a couple of questions from our audience. So Sophie asks, how do you stay healthy while you're traveling so much? Oh my goodness. (laughs) That is a great question. I just had an appointment with my doctor yesterday. I I go to Dr. Frank Lippman, who who's like an incredible wellness doctor in New York. When I was filming Sold in America, like it was the darkest year of my life. It was the year that I got married. But like two days before I got married, I had spent two days with sex offenders. And then like a a week after that, I had witnessed my first heroin overdose and I had gained a bunch of weight and I was tired. I was on the couch. I had gone through like a horrible experience at my job. It was such a bad year. And my health kind of just totally took a toll Mm. and – and I really realized like, okay, I have nothing to give if I'm not good. So I like started looking into like natural doctors or homeopathic doctors and really wanting to recalibrate like the way that I eat. I realized what my food sensitivities were, what was making me feel a type of way. And so now what whether it's like exercising, which I should totally be doing more of, I take a bath as many times and as often as I can. Epsom salt baths are like a really great way to detox and stay healthy. And so like I try to make sure wherever I'm staying has a tub. I take oil of oregano for immunity, which is incredible. If I ever feel congested, I take black seed and olive oil, which is like a remedy that my grandmother always taught me and then my aunt packaged and actually made. And I try to sleep because I think that that's where it got happened. But it's still like I'm still on a health journey right now. It's still happening. Yeah, we all are. I yeah. Think. It takes a while to figure out our own unique bodies. Oh, yeah. But everything comes through food. Everything is about what you eat and what you put into your body. And if you're not aware of what it is that makes you feel good and what doesn't make you feel good, it's life-changing. Like I realized gluten, especially because wheat products in the United States are sprayed with glyphosate. Glyphosate is like literal poison. Eliminating gluten from my diet – was like life-changing for my husband and I. So that was like one place to start and then being able to just play around with what you're eating, making sure that it's clean. Thank you for sharing all of that and for going into detail. I had, I listened to to the podcast, Old in America, and 
I mean, absolutely loved it, but also felt so conflicted hearing all of these different perspectives as to how do we move forward. Right. And so I feel like I can relate in some ways in regards to the research that I do in health and wellness and looking at health and wellness and the varying perspectives when you talk to doctors versus a naturopath and, yeah. you know, all of these different these different things. You've also, your very first documentary that you did, so many of these subjects are super gritty and yeah. challenging and tough. So my personal question to you that might help some of our listeners as well is how do you create that boundary or that border around yourself when you're hearing these things so that you're hmm. able to continue to do the work that you want to do without being consumed by it yeah. and allowing all of that energy to suck the life out of you essentially. Well, it did for me oftentimes. So I like had never seen a therapist before and I was like, why is all of this so triggering to me? And I had gone through my own instances of sexual violence. And so I went to a therapist for the first time. I did EMDR, which was really amazing. It's like reprocessing trauma. So that was one thing. I think with Forest Haven, it was such a challenging story to cover. But in the end, I covered it from like a place of justice and hope and light and celebrated the people. And so I always try to kind of find that angle. But I think what I try to do now is know your place, know what your role is. So if my role is to equip people with the knowledge, to give people a platform to share their truth and then equip listeners and viewers with knowledge so that they can go do something about the issues that they care about. And that's my part in making a change. I always said I hated being called an activist because people are always calling me an activist just because I wore the hijab and I was reporting. And I was like, I'm not an activist. Just because you don't see people who look like me doing this doesn't mean that I'm out there <laughs> making the things change. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was very frustrating to me. And to be honest with you, I've never really said this, but media outlets just never stopped calling me an activist. And it was so frustrating. So I was like, you know what, if you're going to call me an activist, then I'm going to tell you how I am. And the way that I am is because of how I tell stories, because I choose to tell stories in a radical way that is authentic, that is truthful, that is really amplifying the voices that haven't been amplified, and then giving people a way to do something about it. And I think that that's where my role as a storyteller comes into play and somebody who like truly is passionate about the stories that I'm telling and wants to make a difference. So after Souls in America, I've had, and I, st until now, like I always have professors reaching out every single week about how they use the material in class. Doctors who have reached out saying like they've completely taken a different approach on how they see certain right. patients, different government officials and, and offices reaching out about doing trainings. And so there are people who really care. And if you're giving them the knowledge to do it, then then to me, they I'm activate like, from that. Exactly. When I think of you as being an activist, you provide information and you give everyone's perspective in a way that activates the listeners. I mean, I left that podcast being like, I am also going to start a foundation for homeless youth. Yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah. it, I mean, that's it makes thing. you feel and making people feel something, I think, is the first step. In I mean, that's literally always the goal. Yeah, absolutely. Make people feel, make people inform people. I don't care if the most that you do is hear a friend or a family member make a stupid joke about sex work and then you correct them because of what you learned from the podcast. Like to me, that's still worth it. I had one person reach out to me who was a former meth addict and she literally was like, I didn't know I was being trafficked until I listened to your podcast. And I was bawling when I got that message. And I remember telling my husband, Adam, and I was like, if she was the only person who listened to this, then that would have meant everything to me. Like I would have done my job. So it's always troublesome for me because I internalize all of my interviews. I take in everything. I like naturally taken people's pain as my own pain. I have to reset and be like, 
that is not productive. If I want to do right by these people, if I actually care, then it's selfish of me to just sit there and wallow in pain. And yes, vicarious trauma happens and you do have to process that and figure out a way. But I also have to like figure out what my boundaries are and figure out ways to take care of myself so I can still continue to do this job. It's challenging, but it's something that also is a learning process. And once you know what your purpose is, where your place is kind of in this realm, it makes it a lot easier for you to be like, oh, wait, I'm doing what I can. Because I think that when you're so overwhelmed and bombarded with so much news and so many issues and so many things going on in the world, it's so easy for you to think like, I need to change the entire world or else I'm a failure or like feel hopeless because you're like, it's so overwhelming. I don't even know where to start. Because the fact of the matter is, going back to my formula, find that thing that pains you the most, find the cause that you care about the most, and then live for that. Do something with that. And that's enough. We are human beings. Every single time I take off on an airplane and I look down, I'm like, wow, we are so small. Yesterday I was driving on the Brooklyn Bridge coming home and I just looked at the city, like looked at all the buildings and the lights and I had like a horrible day yesterday. And I was looking at it and I was like, I am so small. We are so small. And if you can do anything, like if you can do anything to make somebody feel good, if you can do anything to be at service of other people, if you can do anything that like makes you feel like you're using your time wisely and you're living in your purpose, then like that is all you need to do. I think that is the perfect place to wrap up this incredible <laughs> interview. Thank you so oh, much for being you. here today. Where can people find you if they, they're they obviously going to want to follow along your journey? And how can we help as an audience? Oh, thank you so much. I mean, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook is at Noor, N-O-O-R, and Twitter is N-Tagori, N-T-A-G-O-U-R-I. So we'll keep sharing your stuff as well on Raw Beauty Talk. You guys can just w- watch the documentaries, listen to the podcast. <laughs> Our family has a foundation called ICU Foundation, and that is something that's really important to me. So we make winter care packages and hygiene packages for people experiencing homelessness and distribute grocery gift cards. So if you care about any of these issues and you want to do something about it, you can always just send me a message and I will steer you the right way. Just slide into her DMs. Yeah. All right. That's it for this episode, but be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single show. If you like this episode, please take a moment to leave a review, take a screenshot and share it on social tagging at Raw Beauty Talks. We'll be regramming your posts every week. As we wrap things up, remember your body and life is different than any other one out there. So as you listen to these episodes, keep tuning back into yourself to see what truly resonates. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com listen or on your favorite podcast platform.